This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. Packer and Durham, it's the pre-power hour. Number for the show is 844-SAY-ACCN. That's 844-SAY-ACCN. We'll get to your phone calls. There's a lot of stuff going as we discussed in hour number one. Coming up this hour, Matt Brown's going to join us here momentarily. Gabby Sanchez talking about ACC baseball. And uh, Florida State's new soccer coach for the ladies. By the way, the defending national champs. Brian Penske's going to join us too. So that is going to be a busy, busy hour number two, Mr. Durham. Yeah, no question about it. But great to have Matt Brown uh, with us here to kick off the hour. Right, Pac? I don't hear Wes. All of a sudden, Wes just disappeared on me. So, Mr. Durham, you can take it from here while we try to figure out our technical glitches. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure. I can hear you, but you can't hear me. How's that? Okay. All right, now I just got I just got our audio back, so we got that going for. Us. So we just get, we got some technical glitches on a uh, Wednesday morning. We'll figure this thing out. Let's bring on Matt Brown, who does a great job. You check him out on Extra Points, uh, MB.com, and he addressed name, image, and likeness. First of all, Matt, uh, always appreciate your time. We are living in fascinating times, aren't we? I mean, it's amazing what's going on in college athletics. Thanks for having me, guys. And I completely agree. It's un- unfortunately sometimes when I talk to administrators, when I talk to athletes or people in this business world, I tell them, you know, it's great to be working in interesting times, but sometimes I wish we were working in slightly less interesting times. I might be able to have a few less gray hairs, I think, if things would just slow down just for a second, which is unfortunately not where we are. Do you think it's possible, though, that the, the outside forces that maybe could come up with some type of control, some rules, some regulations, is it possible that we can get to that point, Matt, where this thing can be slowed down at least a little bit? I think it is possible, but it is a little bit unlikely. I mean, you know, you know this better than anybody. And I think anybody that's been covering college athletics for a long time knows that you probably shouldn't bet a whole lot of money on this current group of administrators and the NCAA as we know it getting their arms around some very difficult, complex issue. These are the people that have been kind of kicking that can down the road for the last 20 years. Many of them are the same administrators. And now they're now like, you know, yesterday saying, okay, now we realize that that collectives are boosters or now we realize this is a problem. And the other entity that they're really asking for to help get their arms around everything is Congress. And, you know, regardless of how you feel politically about particular members of Congress or their ability to understand college sports, they're one, they're a little bit busy with some other things right now. And two, they're about to head into a re-election cycle and no one's going to want to do anything. So I would say that I'm skeptical, but it is theoretically possible. All right, let's put Congress on the back burner, right? Because, I mean, we had Bubba Cunningham on the show last month and I asked him a question about, from a timeline standpoint, what are we talking about? And Bubba's got as good a handle on this as anybody you're going to talk to. And he was thinking, Pack, you know, anywhere from two to three years down the road, when we might be able to see something from a national regulation and restrictions or whatever the case, how you want to define it. And I'm thinking, man, three years from now, what in the world does this look like if there's no rules in place? So let's put Congress on the back burner a second. Uh, The things that you heard yesterday, whether it be uh, Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State, talking about, hey, let's just kind of fall under the college football playoff umbrella. Let us uh, conference members and and leaders kind of run this thing. Whether it be that angle, whether it be the NCAA actually saying, hey, listen, you know what? 
the schools have to control the boosters. If not, we're going to come down hard on them, which I want to see. Before, I want to see it before I you know, believe all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, there was transfer portal restrictions, some windows. Any of that from yesterday that you take in, you go, hey, you know what? All that makes sense, or maybe none of that makes sense from your perspective. You know, I, I think two of those things are more likely to happen in the near future. You know, what Gene Smith has been saying about, hey, let's potentially move FBS football out of the purview of the NCAA, that's not a new idea. That was something that the Knight Commission uh, proposed, I, I want to say, last year. And when you talk to a lot of administrators at the much smaller Division One institutions, your one AAA schools, your maybe some of your FCS institutions, that's an idea that I hear fairly often because they're frustrated with, having to, to put in dues for the NCAA to handle enforcement uh, for an entity that really doesn't provide anything for them, right? The, the college football playoff keeps all that money. Uh, the NCAA has to deal with a lot of the problems. And so, like, that is something that I could see potentially happening. I don't think that that's um, necessarily a catalyst for the breakup of the NCAA, but, you know, Gene is correct that Ohio State football's problems and even Fresno State's football problems are pretty different from the rest of, that, rest of the NCAA. The, the transfer window uh, for football and potentially for, for men's and women's basketball, this is something that also was coming up among leaders at the NCAA convention. It was something that that's been, was kind of whispered in corridors even before then. The question there wasn't so much could the NCAA do this. It was could we do this without being sued, without being an, uh, an unfair restraint of, of trade or exposing us to antitrust litigation. And if there's a belief uh, among administrators that, yeah, we could impose some calendar structure around transfers – without going into court, um, I think that would be in the best interest of really everybody. And that may be something that would happen. As far as national NIL guidelines or benchmarks or, or, or meaningful um, enforcement strategies, I think under what, after Austin, I think that would be very, very difficult to do. Um, as far as the NIL goes, I mean, there's a lot of folks who are fans that as soon as they heard about this before it became July 1st and became, you know, hey, off to the races we go. Fans, I think a lot went, oh, man, this is the end of college sports as we know it. Uh, do you fall under that category or do you get a sense that, hey, listen, this is nothing more than a business decision. And finally, student athletes have ability to make some dollars on the side. Now, granted, NIL uses an, as an inducement is a totally different beast, yeah. I think, versus what all of us saw maybe this time a year ago. Yeah, I, I think I think first it's it's really important for fans and honestly I think other reporters to understand that when we when we, we the collective we talk about NIL, there's really two different NILs we're talking about. There's a group of there's NIL where the deals are tied to a company that's honestly trying to make money or have some kind of um, you know business reason for doing that deal. I've done several NIL deals to promote extra points. I, I did one with a, a Notre Dame athlete a couple of weeks ago. I'm in the process of finalizing one with a few Ohio State athletes. I've done some with, with FCS athletes. I don't really care where they play. Um, for me, it's a, it's a question of does this help with my content? Does this help with my exposure? I'll talk to anybody. And you know, if MasterCard or Buffalo Wild Wings does that, they don't really care who somebody plays in. And I look at th those kind of deals as not the end of college football, or not or the end of anything else, but as an enormous positive. And I, I, I'll, I'll say this here, one of the things that I think is legitimately exciting about that is um, traditionalists, I think when they talk about college sports and think, well, you know, in education, that's, that, that, that's what they're getting, that should be enough for these young men and women, without realizing that they're not getting the same education that maybe that you and I got. If you're a football player at Syracuse, you can't say, hey coach, I'm gonna go study abroad, I'll see you in six months. Or I'm going to go do this internship where I've got an engineering lab and that means I can't make this practice. You've got a very specific 25 25 hour a week commitment 
And through NIL, this is a chance to have uh, internships or have exposure to industry or have professional experiences that other students have that maybe you couldn't before. Like I look at that, that's wonderful. The other side are people that are cutting checks that are laundering that money through kind of made up marketing deals as inducements or as incentives to stay at a program and not hit the transfer portal. And I look at that as an extension of these same things that have been going on since the early 1900s. Yale, Princeton, University of Chicago, they were all cheating their pants off. Like, like you know, you, anybody that tries to tell you that college football was ever, you know, clean hasn't really read a history book. But I do think that what's happening now, because there's so much more money in college sports and because the, the players have uh, the ability to, to leave programs a little bit easier, that is different. And I don't want to say it's the end of college sports, but I also don't want to gaslight a fan and pretend that this isn't different or that this isn't frustrating. Like if, if I was a Pitt fan right now, I think you are – it is rational to be upset and to be angry. And if I was a Boston College fan that's now worried, hey, am I going to – the second one of my one of my favorite football players develops and becomes an all-ACC caliber player, is he going to immediately leave to Florida State? I understand where they would be fr- where they would be frustrated. And these are the kind of questions that I think if we want this to be an engaging product, not just one that is just and fair or more just and more fair to athletes, there has to be some kind of resolution to help keep the whole country in- uh, involved. Matt, I agree with that a thousand percent. So let me ask you this. If you and I, for argument's sake, don't think the NCAA could do something about it, it then puts all the onus, in my opinion, on conference commissioners and ADs to say, all right, we can handle this. Kind of what Gene Smith was talking about. Hey, let us handle yeah. this, right? We, you know, we know what our rules do. We know how we operate. And Do you trust that that entity would be strong enough to understand that, hey, listen, if I get wind that a booster went out and bought X, Y, and Z to play uh, to Team X and I got to compete against them, that they would blow the whistle? Do you think they have the gumption to actually be able to rule the roost and understand, hey, let's all be honest with ourselves. Or do you think it's one of those things that, hey, I know I'm doing it. If they're doing it, man, don't worry about it. We'll go play you, whether it be on a Saturday afternoon at a football stadium or on a basketball court or a women's softball field or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I, I, I uh, you know, in, in the off chance that any of them are listening here, I would just, you know, I would say it's probably more of the latter. And and we've had examples of college sports history, you know, before the NCAA kind of became this modern enforcement mechanism, where these kind of things were mostly driven by conference offices, and it led to lots of fights, lots of backbiting. You know, the the newspapers in the 1950s looked a lot like message boards do now. Like, it, it, I wouldn't say that necessarily fixed everything. I think that the people that are running major conferences now are very capable individuals, but they also understand that they don't want to put their institutions at a competitive or a financial disadvantage to other ones that maybe see eligibility or have different philosophical questions about NIL or about lots of these things. And so the, you know, the, you basically, you don't want to be the first person to pull the trigger and then watch everybody else do it. You, want, you don't want to unilaterally disarm. The other you know, question that I, I kind of keep coming back to is we, we, I keep thinking about the college football playoff expansion discussions a couple of, a couple of months ago, right? Well, all these commissioners, all of whom functionally agree on the, the biggest possible um, you know, parts of that discussion, they all want to expand. They have a, a couple of, uh, of, of places where they disagree on, on some, on some you know, media, other points, but big picture, they're all in agreement. And they weren't able to actually figure things out. And that I, I think about that and wonder how are we going to expect these you know five six twelve ten people to then 
negotiate and figure things out when they don't actually agree on the final on the final point here, which we might see with NIL. Uh, we might see with NIL with eligibility with financial discussions, and that doesn't make me super optimistic. So they can try, but uh, I think I'm a little bit of a doubting Thomas about this. Right? I'll believe it when I see it. Somebody actually, you know, flag their own institutions and potentially put them at a disadvantage to the SEC. All right, so I'm going to put you on the spot, Matt. Crystal ball, what do you think? Ha- I'm just going to, not not down the road yeah. like years from now, but we're going to get to the college football playoff this year. What do you think this is going to look like? Anything change? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I, I joke with people, right? Like, listen, if I if my crystal ball was super functional, extra points wouldn't cost eight bucks a month. It'd cost, <laughs> it'd cost a whole lot more, and I'd be doing something different, right? It'd be a gambling it. newsletter. No, but what what I what I can tell you, I, I think I don't think there's going to be gigantic changes. I know that there's a lot of, of of hope and maybe some wish casting that listen, this is an unstable, unregulated market, but markets stabilize and then we'll have some predictability. Like, man, do you know the kind of people that that drop seven figure bags at Texas A and M? These are not rational people. There is no downward pressure on booster money anywhere here. These are these are the folks that have lifetime subscriptions to message boards, more money than cents, and even if their investments don't pan out. They're gonna spend more money. Like absent something you know larger than than this group of rich people, there isn't going to be some kind of pressure for equilibrium when some of these things pan, don't pan out. The one thing that I am looking for, and I do, honest to God, think this will happen before the end of this calendar year, is uh, if the NCAA doesn't get involved, I would expect either the IRS or at least one state attorney's general to get involved, either in investigating the 501c3 status of some of these collectives or the tax status uh, of of some of the individual athletes or or, or entities involved and some other regulatory body trying to blow some whistles. Not that it's going to clear up everything else here, but the NCAA isn't the only entity that's interested in how some of this stuff works. And some of these law enforcement entities actually are good at enforcing rules, maybe that Indianapolis or in Chicago, that they struggle with a little bit. Well, I think from an enforcement standpoint, and this is why the NCAA, I don't think anybody's afraid of the NCAA. When you don't have subpoena power, just exactly how do you conduct an investigation? I mean, seriously, if you can't get to the bottom of a problem, you have no chance to get to the bottom of a problem. And it's true whether yeah, it's NIL yeah. or any other rule or regulation that's been put in place. It's almost comical, to be honest with you. No, I, I, you're right. And the what, what they, the kind of stick they were able to wield, right, is this idea that, well, you're, you're going to want to comply, right? All of your peers are complying. We can make things harder for you if we don't get the full truth. But now that I think enough people have realized that if I just say no comment every single time and I watch other people that I know have done worse things kind of skate, the incentive to cooperate has greatly diminished. And then, you know, the NCAA came in there and was like, listen, we got in a bunch of blue ribbon panelists. We have an independent enforcement board now, and it's you know it's it's a it's a glacier. It's it's going so slowly, and I, I, there's no reason for anybody to be afraid. If you're an attorney advising an athlete or a school, I think your risk management calculus might be different because your your risk as an individual is going to be greater than that of an institution. But I, I don't know how I, I you know what the, all the conversations that I've had over the last several months about not just NIL, but about transformation portal or the transformation committee and college sports uh, reform and these big substantial questions. I have not talked to anybody, big school, small school, coach, AD, athlete that says, I am satisfied with the enforcement mechanism right now. This is probably the number one uh, area of dissatisfaction among college sports status quo. And I don't know how to fix it. I think that that is above my, my meager pay grade here as a basement reporter. 
Well, and I do think that's an issue. And again, you know, if you're a multi-billionaire and you're sitting there going, boy, if you don't do this or else, okay, great, cool, watch this. I'm going to go buy somebody yeah. else right in front of you and have no no fear that there's any kind of repercussion. So it is a fascinating time, though, isn't it? I know we kid around starting this interview, but we have a front row seat to, I think, what, 100 years from now, they'll look back and whatever college athletics looks like then, they'll look back to right now and go, man, it all changed when the pandemic hit, transfer portal, name, image, and likeness, uh, college sports has never, ever going to look back to whatever, however old you are, whatever you grew up with, that day is over. It's over. Yeah. I, I, we, we have been, just the last several years, there have been some seismic changes, right? Like the, easily the biggest changes since the deregulation of cable broadcasts for college yeah. athletics, which brought in an unprecedented amount of money, but between changes of potential potential unionization that could happen, right? Between Alston, which which blew a hole in uh, NCAA's enforcement powers, but yeah, right, the pandemic, uh, between massive conference realignment changes, between uh, the transfer portal, there has been a haymaker every couple of months. I, I feel like you know I launched extra points, you know, about a little over two years ago. I feel like I've been telling my poor wife, like, listen, I know it's the off season. But if we can just get through like this next big event in like 10 days, then things will stabilize. There has been no stabilization. There has been no offseason in the Extra Points era. And I'm a publication that basically just writes about the offseason. And I don't know when one's coming, which is both exhilarating and exciting. And it's there's always something to talk about. But, you know, burnout would also be a factor, too. This would not be a time when I would want to be an athletic director. You're 100% right. Listen, man, always appreciate your time, man. Keep up the great work. We look forward to getting you back. Okay. Hey, thanks. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Matt Brown does great work. Check him out. Extra points. And again, uh, we'll take phone calls when we return at 844-SAY-ACCN. I think we found West Durham as well. All that comes your way. It's Packer and Durham on ACC Network. And by the way, it's time to talk a little baseball too. Home running race. Gabby Sanchez comes up here in about 10 or 15 minutes. We'll talk some Florida State women's soccer before we're out of here too. All that coming up next. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham. It's a Wednesday. 844-SAY-ACCN is the number. 844-SAY-ACCN. I know we got some folks on hold. It's a busy hour guest-wise. And I appreciate Matt Brown joining us. Always an interesting guy to talk Mm -hmm. to, Mr. Durham. Yeah, he is. uh, First of all, nobody, I think, has written more about this uh, tumultuous college athletic world we're now living in pact than Matt Brown has. And the other thing I'm always uh, kind of intrigued by when I read his stuff is how how unified a lot of people are, but yet we don't have anything. You know, that's the scary part about this. Don't you think that we just don't get any kind of, you know, collaboration? Everybody wants the same thing to happen, but nobody's kind of found a way to do it yet. And it looks like We've kind of reached that tipping point, don't you think? Well, that's what I said last hour. You know, the talk is great. And there's a lot of folks that are in agreement of power. But now it's time for somebody to literally say, guess what? I am going to go do something about it. Uh, and that right. needs to happen desperately as far as college sports mm-hmm. are concerned. So, again, fascinating yeah, we're, time. We're, I was encouraged with what I heard yesterday. But that was talk. Now let's go do something about it. Uh, now we're fortunate to get Matt on. He does a great job. His... His extra points newsletter is sensational stuff, and if you if you want to follow it and you want to follow a lot of the avenues around it, um, it's it's almost become like a daily trade journal 
for NIL, for expansion, for the reorganization of college athletics. Uh, the the uh, the one today, actually, uh, I got in my mailbox this morning. Also encompasses things like the Big Ten's latest media deal, right? And what's happening at these Phoenix Spring meeting stuff. It, it, that the kind of stuff that I think you just can't get uh, in depth dives uh, anywhere else. So our thanks to him. Um, I know we got phone calls. I know we got people that want to talk about this, and we're going to get to some of that. Gabby Sanchez is coming up here in a minute. We're going to dive into the ACC home run race with him. Um, Mark, you were one of the first people, I mean, I want to say nine months ago, when not, I think NIL started, that we were on the front porch of a new world in college athletics. We were standing on the front porch of the old house, and we were looking out on the new horizon of college athletics. And it just feels like that that has continued to happen ever since then, right? Almost since July 1 of last year when, um, what was it, um, De'Eric King and Mackenzie Milton announced an NIL at midnight with a moving company, right? Since then, it's just seemingly gotten bigger and bigger and also more chaotic and in some ways more out of control, don't you think? Well, I know that's to be true. Um, and I said, again, not to beat the dead horse here, but you know, I'm all for a student athlete if he or she has the time to figure out a way to make additional dollars on the side. I think it's awesome. It's a chance to, number one, be creative, your entrepreneurship, chance to interact with uh, companies, uh, individuals, chance to maybe open up another door uh, of a future. Again, only less than 2% are going pro. 98% of student athletes hopefully get a degree and then move on to the real world and become solid citizens, great parents, get back to community, the whole routine. So the quicker you can kind of introduce yourself to society in the real world, the better. I'm all for it. But the problem is, Wes, inducement. Name, image, and likeness was never intended for boosters to go, hey, here's an opportunity for us to flat out cheat and fast forward the clock. Yeah, we're going to go pay our student athletes maybe right. hundreds of thousands of dollars, perhaps millions of dollars. Again, I'm all for everybody getting paid. But that was never the intention of name, image, and likeness. And unfortunately, because the NCAA did such a lousy job getting in front of this and setting up rules and regulations, hey, it's a free-for-all. And that's exactly where we find it. Yeah. So now, how fast can the power brokers right now in college athletics catch up and at least put up some walls and some rules and regulations to kind of say, hey, listen, let's just kind of head this thing down the path. I don't think anybody's totally against student athletes being able to make additional dollars. I don't think anybody's against transfer portal in terms of, hey, if you're not happy at your school for whatever reason, you should be able to get up and go. But it can't just be a total free-for-all where there's no repercussions if you screw up. Guess what? 70% of the student athletes who have entered the transfer portal since August of 19 into July of 21 have no place to go. They have no sport to play. They have no classroom to attend to. They have no education to fall mm. back on. Now where are you? So you can't tell me that this transfer portal thing has been a great idea. You know what? I'm all for you having the ability to go, but you've got to make smart business educated decisions you can't just say hey yeah. forget it they're not going to play me i'm out of here hey there may not be a place for you to go as a matter of fact seven of ten of you there is no place for you to go 
So what are we talking about here? So we've got to get the real smart people in the room, and I include all the conference commissioners, most of the athletic directors, and that's the one thing about this conference, Wes, that I can brag about. Jim Phillips, brilliant guy, great leader. The ADs in this conference are out of sight, best it's ever been. I have faith and confidence that those folks can sit around the room and go, guess what? We can implement ideas. So it becomes a win-win situation for not only the student athlete, name, image, and likeness, the transfer portal, but also for our coaches. I mean, those coaches are in no man's land right now trying to put a roster together or worrying about, hey, listen, I did a great job, me and my staff in recruiting, and I now have to go worry about not only the incoming class, but now I got to go worry about my own folks who are trying to be bought or tampered with by some scumbag school election, right? Because some booster is tired of getting kicked around in the yard. And he goes, hey, I'm going to go buy that wide receiver. I'm going to go buy that quarterback, that point guard. That is not what college athletics is supposed to be about. And we, we, the collective we, right? Whether it be, I'm not talking about me or you because we don't have any power. But the ADs, the commissioners have got to understand if you don't fix this, we are going down a path in which college sports as we know it is over. It's over. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say gloom and doom here because I love college sports. I love Saturdays in college football. I love a Tuesday night ACC basketball game. I love watching softball. We all do. If not watching this channel or listening mm-hmm. to us, you fall under that category. So it's time now for the real leaders in college sports to come front and center and go, hey, enough of the nonsense. We're here for the student athletes. We're also here for our schools, our presence, the institutions. Let's make this a win-win proposition. There is a solution. Now let's get to work and quit worrying that, hey, Congress is our savior three years from now. That is a bad plan. I don't like the sound of that under any circumstance. We got more talented people. We don't need Congress as the backup. I mean, that, that to me is not the issue. Let's go get this thing figured out. Yeah. I tell you what, our timing for next week's three days at Amelia Island couldn't be more appropriate, could they? Well, and like I said, uh, whether you're Commissioner Phillips or any of the commissioners or any of these ADs, your plate is full. And uh, it, you know, winning yeah. and losing, obviously, we we were always worried about scoreboard. But I'll say something again to us: I haven't heard the word education mentioned very often in any of these conversations. And to me, mm-hmm. that's bothersome. And I know there are people, ah, oh, Packy, talk about education. It's the most important aspect of all of this. I mean, yeah. if you're not, listen, some guy yep. could give you a million dollars, but if you're uneducated, you're screwed. You, you, tap out, dude. That, that money will be spent. You have no idea. You must get an education. That's what college is all about, period. That's got to be priority yeah, the, one. The fundamental mission the fundamental mission of the activity has clearly been lost in the chaos. There's no doubt about that part. When we come back, we go to South Florida. Gabby Sanchez on deck, our ACC Network baseball analyst. We're going to get our arms around this home run race. And Kevin Parada, who has Max Wagner and Tommy White, Jake Geloff, and Brendan Tinsman all within sight. As we go down the stretch in the final month of regular season play next. Packer and Durham. Now here's Gabby Sanchez, ladies and gentlemen, joining us, ACC Network baseball analyst. 
big leaguer extraordinaire at Gabby Sanchez 15 <laughs> on the social media deal. All right. It seems like we're going to chase this home run ball literally all the way to the end of the regular season and probably into the postseason. But Gabby, Kevin Parada is out here. We've got Max Wagner out here, Tommy White, hope to get back in the lineup, Jake Geloff, Brendan Tensman. Those are the five cat those are the five guys in the battle here. But it feels like Parada and Wagner are going to take this toward the line, if you know what I mean, when we get to Charlotte in the end of the regular season in the tournament. I mean, that's what it's looking like right now. When you start to put the numbers together, Kevin Parada is just having an unbelievable season. 23 home runs, 74 RBIs. I love the strikeout to walk ratio. That one is huge for me because it just shows how good of a hitter is. It's not one dimensional. He's not just going up there hitting home runs or trying to hit home runs. He has a 381 average. It, you know, 1,020, uh, 1,261 OPS. Like he is just doing it all. I kind of put him as last year's Henry Davis. Loves put the lizard mask on. He's done it 23 times already. I, I feel like he could be. I don't know if he's going to be the number one pick in the draft, but you're talking about a catcher in a skilled position who can hit the home run. It's going to be really fun to watch where he falls in that draft process. And you're right, Max Wagner, too, though, he has been killing it. He has been destroying the baseball as well. He's got a 1,400 OPS. And when you look at those numbers and Kevin Parada's numbers, there are a lot of third basemen and catchers on that list of what you just finished mentioning as well. And for Max Wagner with Clemson, 21 home runs with 61 RBIs, 33 base on balls again to the 33 strikeouts. That's almost a one-to-one ratio. When you're talking about a power hitter that is not only not really striking out, but he's taking his walks, smart hitters, that's what I'm looking at on this list. Don't go away from Tommy Tanks either because Tommy Tanks can go, you know, nine home runs in a weekend with no problems. He's already done it before where he's hit five or six in a weekend. So you can't really go away from Tommy Tanks either because he's been a freshman phenom. I mean, what he's been been able to do over there in NC State, my goodness, you don't see that from a young player. Now, you look at the strikeouts-to-walk ratios with him, there's still room to grow there even with him. But what I like about Tommy Tanks is the way that he drives the ball. It's not just hitting the ball out to left field where you get a lot of young guys to do, thinking, I need to pull this ball to hit it out. No, he uses the big part of the field, center field, right center field gap. He lets that ball travel. He is a very, very good hitter. And we can go up and down that lineup. A lot of these guys, man, they could just swing the bat. A lot of really good hitters in the ACC. And we hope that uh, Tommy uh, heals up. And, of course, he got uh, injured last week. And uh, he's going to be probably on the shelf this week. But, again, taking some BP. And hopefully he'll be back. Maybe a DH this weekend. We'll see what Elliott comes up with at NC State. You know, we're talking about all these dudes going yard. Uh, I want to talk about a team like last night, Louisville. They beat Vanderbilt one zip. Seven pitchers combined on a two-hitter, struck out 14. And I just watched Louisville put 35 runs on the board against my beloved Clemson Tigers over the weekend. They only needed one last night. They lead the Atlantic, Gabby. It's going to be a great race with Notre Dame and others coming down the stretch. But what about what Louisville's doing right now? They're playing good baseball. Well, when I take a look at Louisville's team, one through nine in their lineup, 
they all can hit. I remember when I was doing the game for them, and like their seven, eight, nine are all hitting over 300, 12 home runs, nine home runs. And I'm like, this team is so deep hitting-wise that if they can figure out the pitching aspect of it, if they can really get going and getting those good quality starting pitching, I don't know if there's a team out there that can really compete with them in the ACC. They are very, very deep when it comes to hitting. Another team that I saw, too, that's very, very deep in hitting is a team like Georgia Tech that is starting to come along now uh, as well. They're a very good one through nine hitting ball club. So there's a lot of good hitting teams. But for Louisville, boy, I, I mean, I'm watching their games. They're just getting better and better as the season goes on. And that's going to be a real tough team to beat, especially in the ACC tournament that's coming up. All right, Gabby, I want to go back to the Atlantic here real quick because we're talking about Louisville and Dan McDonald's proven he can do this, right? He's built a fantastic program there. But we got five teams in that in that division <laughs> that have got a two-game win streak. I mean, we got a lot of mixing and matching going on in the Atlantic division. And here's the thing I look at, and this is the this is the tough thing. There's three games in the loss column between one and ten, four between one and uh, five. That's yeah. not a lot of wiggle room when you know right. the top two are going to go for sure and the rest of it is cut through the cough, if you know what I mean. No, I do know what you mean. And it's going to be a fun last couple weeks here because you're right. I mean, there is no room for losing. You really have to go. Every single weekend means way more, especially in that Atlantic division. Coastal, a little bit different. There's some room there with Miami and Virginia Tech. But in that Atlantic Oh, boy, there is not much room. Louisville's right now, they're in first, but Notre Dame is right on their heels. They're catching up. They're about a game and a half or two games out. Between those you know, top four teams, I believe it's like three games difference. It's going to be a fun ride to the end of the season because nobody knows. If you have one bad weekend, you can find yourself flipped out of that top spot to about the fourth spot. So it is going to be really interesting to see how these teams go out there. And, and they need to understand that, hey, every single weekend matters at this point. Gabby, uh, you know, who knows who wins this thing in Omaha, right? I mean, it, it's a crazy tournament, right. and we'll find out who the best team is. But as we sit here in the first week of May, seven ACC teams are ranked in the top 25. That's more than any other conference. The league's got three teams in the top 10. That's more than any other conference. Is it safe to say right here in May that the best college baseball conference in America is the Atlantic Coast Conference? I would say the deepest conference in America mm. is the Atlantic Coast Conference. That's what I would say. I, I'm not going to throw out the best because I haven't seen those teams from SEC. I know that Tennessee is just absolutely ridiculous with what they're doing, not only on the mound, but hitting-wise. They're a very deep lineup. They're very, very, very good. But if I had to just put – you know, the best conference, baseball conference-wise right now in baseball? Oh, it's got to be the ACC, no doubt about it. It's so deep. And when you start talking about all these teams that are ranked in the top 25, you talk about all the teams that have been ranked in the top 25. A lot of times the teams in the ACC, they get out of the top 25 because they're playing against their own guys and they're beating up, beating up each other. And that's what you kind of have going on, just teams in the ACC playing really good baseball. So I would say they're definitely – the deepest, I'm not going to just throw out saying that they're the best conference just because I would never do that, but I can say the absolutely deepest. 
All right, Gabby, I want to go – I go big picture sometimes with guys. I want to go big picture with you. Okay. I'm seeing a lot of MLB chatter about the ball, okay? I'm seeing a lot of <laughs> – I know the Marlins – the Marlins got to be upset about the ball. There's some clubs really upset about the ball here. Packers team, the Giants, they're not as upset as others, I would think, because they're doing okay. <laughs> but have we got a ball problem right now in baseball, and do we have a college baseball problem with the ball? Well, I, I don't think we have a college baseball problem at all with the ball. Um, I hear a lot of guys in the big leagues, and they're talking about, well, what happened? Well, I mean, last year the ball seemed like it was flying out when you just kind of blew at it. It was going out of the ballpark. All of a sudden, now guys have to hit it, and they're saying, hey, what's going on? The same ball that I hit this year, you know, last year is getting out. This year it's being caught 10 feet, you know, to the wall. Guys are hitting home runs or thinking they're home runs, and they're pimping it down to first base. Um Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe guys will stop pimping baseballs and actually get on a horse and start running when they hit a baseball. But I, I think it's definitely um, something that MLB is going to have to look at because at the end, you know, players are going to be, you know, voicing their frustration. And with social media, they're able to get out there and, and they've got a good following. And guess what? Fans want to see the long ball. You know, fans want to watch Virginia Tech sledgehammering the ground after they hit a home run or Louisville put on the lizard mask, you know, Miami going in the shopping cart. That's fun for fans to watch. So I don't know if there's something going on with the baseball where it's, you know, where they've deadened it. I hope not. I hope that, you know, that's just something that, hey, right now, hey, guys are just missing balls, maybe short in spring training. They're not right where they used to be. Maybe as the season goes on, it gets hotter, balls will start flying out again. I'm not sure. But I know that baseball has a big problem on their hand because they got a lot of guys talking about it. Oh, man, ain't no crying okay. in baseball, Gabby. Throw it in there if you can strike me out. If I hit it, I hit it, man. That's just, it's sports. It's, here's the ball. Here's the bat. Let's go play. I don't want all these guys. I don't make, get that. You know, come on, man. You're, making, you're getting paid seven figures. Pick up the stinking ball and throw it. Go hit it if you're good enough. I, all this whining, that's nonsense. It. I get it. I get what you're saying, but... You know, sometimes it is the arrow and it's not the Indian. You know, like that's what the baseball guys are saying and the players are saying, like, hey, if I hit a ball last year and it went out and this year, same yeah. exact ball. Because remember, too, with, with t- sabermetrics, they've got all the exit velocity and they yeah, have all, all the heights. The numbers. And they know, and they know, hey, my numbers last year, the same exact ball got hit, it got out, and right. now it's not. Like, what, what's going on here? There's yeah. got to be a figure that's, that's going. So, so I, I kind See? of look at it as as a player, I want that same I want the ball to be the same year in, year out. I don't want to all of a sudden be dead in where I hit the ball and now it doesn't go out. Because guess what? Fans love a long ball. Hey Gabby. See? You know what you know what professional right. hitters do to hanging curveballs? They hit it. Is what they do. And well, if you they, can't But you're supposed you, to hang it and bang it. But right. if you don't if you bang it and it still doesn't go out, you're like, hey now, what's going on? I don't care. Hit it in the gap instead. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> no. you're, you're profe- all this analytics, all this See? nonsense. You pick up the I'm, ball, throw it, let's go play, man. I'm tired of I'm tired of all this whining. Come on. I'm just gonna tell you. Gabby, I'm with you on this, Gabby. I'm with you. They got uh-huh. all the numbers, they got all the exits, they got the launch angles, they got all that stuff. And if they go back, and I know they file it. And if they go back and oh, look yeah. at it, and it's the same, and it's not going out. Rob Manfred's got a problem on his hands. I'm just glad we don't have the problem in college baseball, because in college baseball I, I we got guys hitting you. it for a mile. There you go. <laughs> Great to see you. Thanks as always. Appreciate it.
Uh, no, thank you guys for having me. It's always a lot of fun being on this show. All right, Gabby Sanchez, he'll cover ACC baseball. When we come back, Brian Penske covers Florida State women's soccer. The brand new head soccer coach of the Seminoles and the defending champion, by the way, in the Southeastern Conference at Tennessee joins us next from Tallahassee. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Well, how about that? Uh, Brian Penske is the new women's soccer coach at the defending national champion, Florida State Seminoles. He joins us this morning from Tallahassee. Terrific resume. Graduate of Emory in Atlanta and a previous ACC Coach of the Year at Maryland Pack uh, back when he was there. So, Brian, welcome. Congratulations. And I guess in some ways, welcome back to the ACC, right? Yes, uh, welcome back is correct. Uh, happy to be back. Um, obviously, in, in, in this sport, uh, women's soccer, in our sport, it's, it's traditionally and continues to be the best league in the country, and uh, I'm very happy to be back. Boy, what a tough rebuilding job you've got. Uh, tag, you're it. you got the defending national champs. I mean, <laughs> what, what, what a great deal this is, Brian. Brutal, brutal. Who wants this job? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's a lot of talent, and uh, with that talent is is maturity and age and experience. So, um, I've uh, I've walked into a pretty good place right now. What and 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 that's the part of this because as I said going to break, you just won the Southeastern Conference Championship at the University of Tennessee. I mean, it's not as if you didn't have a very good program that was contending, but this yeah. felt like when Mark Krikorian stepped down. This felt like maybe one of the best jobs in all of college sports, not just women's soccer. Uh, I do not disagree, and that's why I'm here. You know, I, I left a very good Tennessee team. You know, we, we set a lot of program records this past fall, won 20 games, um, scored a lot of goals. We, uh, we returned 10 starters from last fall's team. Uh, we played a really competitive schedule this spring and won all our games except for the professional team we played, and we tied them. So I, I, I left a... Um, the, the cover pretty full, um, which I'm obviously very proud of. Um, walking into this job, yes, you would think that it's the most coveted job in the country, um, but I think there are probably some people that were in awe of this, uh, of this challenge and uh, in awe of walking into Mark's shoes, and, and I understand that, right? I am walking into the biggest shoes over the last 10 to 15 years, the biggest shoes in women's college soccer. Mark's done a phenomenal job, and he's a he's a very difficult, if not impossible, person to replace. However, at this point in my career, I, like I said before, I'm really happy to be back in this league. In this league, you can go and recruit the best players in the country, um, if not around the world, as Mark has done, and uh, compete year in, year out for a national championship. And that's what drew me back to this league and certainly to Florida State. Brian, can you even quantify the difference of where not only the ACC is, but really women's soccer generally, from your time at Maryland versus what you're inheriting at Florida State? I mean, is it even possible to define how far in advance the sport has come? Yeah, it's the, the, the growth um, is, is tremendous. The, obviously, on the, on the women's side, right, the, the U.S. women's national team is winning, has been winning world championships since the 90s, right? Um, but really, and, and, and we all know that Title IX um, 
took hold in, I think, 1971, right? This was, I think, the 50th anniversary of Title IX. But really, it didn't explode till the late 90s in terms of college soccer programs being formed around the country. This program here, I think, is 25, 26 years old. But it doesn't, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It takes a little while to kind of get off the ground. And um, basically, by year 10 of this program is right around when Mark stepped in and and uh, all the programs around the country, the level of play, all of it, the investment in, in the ACC in their programs, in the SEC, the Big 12, the Pac-12, the investment is, uh, is phenomenal. And really, you look at the U.S. women's national team and how successful they've been for decades, their player pool comes out of women's college soccer. You've got women competing at a very high level for four years, just getting better and better, and then primed to compete for world championships for their uh, country right here in the USA. Well, Brian, you all know then that, uh, and I think you said this yesterday in your comments in Tallahassee, uh, you've got a terrific structure in place now for success. So I'm, I'm curious, on the heels of all this, what's job one here? Uh, I mean, you have two, I think, terrific assistants on staff from what I understand. You've got veteran players back. I mean, is it a matter of making sure the stars continue to be aligned, so to speak? Uh, that's exactly right. So job number one is just trying to get people comfortable, right? No, nobody saw Mark's departure coming. Nobody was happy about Mark's departure, right? It was a, it was a real, real big loss for these players, for, these, for the staff, for the assistant coaches all of them, and I understand all of that, right? And so in many ways, they, they maybe weren't even ready for a new head coach to walk in the door because they still want a mark back. So all I'm doing is, you know, developing relationships, building trust, and, and letting them know, hey, we're good, right? We, we, we still are the best program in the country. I'm not in here to screw that up, right? I'm here to continue it and continue this winning tradition to develop players, put them into the professional ranks, put them into playing for their national teams, their respective national teams, and continue to keep compete for championships. But job one is getting to know the kids and getting to know the staff and making everybody feel as comfortable as possible in what has been a pretty rough month of change. By the way, it's pretty cool to see uh, the coaches welcome you to Florida State, wasn't it? it makes you feel right yeah. at home. That was awesome. Um, really nice group. Uh, obviously, everybody's all over the place right now, and whether it's recruiting, competing, all of it. But for six or seven of them to take the time to come down and meet me and then sit in the press conference says a lot about the community here and the support for one another, and I'm very blessed and humbled to be a part of it. Well, it's a great picture with you and Brooke Wyckoff and Mike Norvell and John Proctor, of course. Trey Jones, who's been with us on the show, and Amy Bond does a great job as well. And, and Michael Offord. And, and Brian, that kind of leads me to the, uh, to the next question. Uh, you're kind of the first big hire that Michael Offord has made as athletic director. We're going to get a chance, hopefully, to visit with him next week. How did you find the new athletic director at Florida State uh, in, your, in your pursuit of this job? He was great. I felt uh, very early on he's committed to continuing the excellence of this program and uh, supporting our program um, with whatever we need to continue to compete for championships year in and yeah. year out. Simple as that. Um, he wants to win. He wants these kids to have an amazing college experience. He wants them to succeed in the classroom. So all about the yeah. student athlete experience while winning at a high level. By the way, i got to ask you this question because uh, we've been asking this to all the coaches and time's perfect since this is your debut. 
Uh, what's your walk-up music? What, what's the song to get you absolutely <laughs> jazzed on game day or going out and recruiting? So we're going to put you right on the spot. Wow, that's a great question. Well, um, if I, I, I made a deal with our Tennessee team. If they won the SEC championship, I would sing and dance to a little bit of Slim Shady on the bus. Oh. Um, so that was, a, that was an amazing day, but that was a terrible two minutes of my life. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, you know this you got a clean slate now coach i mean you, you know you can kind of break free from all that stuff and by the way I do. my brother is a, a tennessee alum so if you got some gear that you still can't get rid of just let me know i'll get that down to him so if you need to go a lot of gear all right if you need to go for a new song this is the moment for you you can break free <laughs> Um, I got I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a crazy music guy. Honestly, I'm a sports talk radio guy. I'm, right. uh, I listen to you guys a lot. I listen to the guys over on the SEC network. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to plead the fifth on that one. All right, I tell you what, we're going to give you time. That's good. All right. I put you on the spot. Okay, we're going to give you time for the next go around, but we have have that one in mind. Next time you're on the show. All right. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you. I promise. You got I tell you what, Coach, we welcome you back to the ACC. Great to have you at Florida State. Look forward to welcoming you back to our show here in the future as well. Good luck. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on. You bet. Brian Penske, new women's soccer coach at Florida State. As Pac said at the top, it's only the defending national champs. What? You know, normally you get a new coach. It's like, well, you know, we got a new foundation. We're going to new culture. Hey, you know what? You're walking into uh, what what Mark did there was sensational. And the coach knows that he had great success at Tennessee, as you pointed out. Yeah. But uh, that was when that job opened. That believe me, there were people around the country who went, "What? The Florida State women's soccer yep. gig is open, man. Where do I sign up for that?" But you got to be a special coach now to want to they understand the pressure and what you're walking into. They they don't want to be just pretty good. Florida State's a standard. So uh, Brian's got his hands full, but you know what? That's the kind of coach you want. You want a guy that can't wait to embark on that, embrace it, and let's go win another one. Totally agree with you. When we come back, the 9 o'clock hour is going to be dominated by your phone calls at 844-SAY-ACCN. A lot of folks want to talk about the portal, name, image, and likeness, and where we're going in college athletics next on Packer and Durham. Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app.